Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 179. That's how we roll. Recorded February 8th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week are your stalwart co-host, Chris, the command line godfather needs, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and everyone out there in TV internet land, I hope everyone's had a great week. Mine should be entertaining since I start on call as of tomorrow. Nice. Cool, and I would like to welcome everyone to the wonderful world of internet radio. <laughs> I'm actually on call at this very moment. The on call phone is sitting right here beside me. Handy little oh, fun. Uh, Verizon flip phone. Um, uh, yeah, I'd never, it rarely ever rings uh, on the weekends, and I've never had it disrupt the show that I can remember. But uh, it's there. I, I do an on call rotation every eight weeks, I think it is, and yeah. this is my turn. So what is the uh, SLA required for that? Uh, immediate. Uh, somebody, this <laughs> this phone is for emergency use only. Uh, so if somebody's calling this phone, they need help now. There's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's what mine's like too. Yeah. So anyway. So I, I, there are a number of holy wars that have been raging on the internet for years. Gnome versus KDE. Um, yep. Vim versus Emacs. Um, yeah, Vim wins. So, <laughs> um, Wayland. I think we all lose then. Um, and I unknowingly stumbled into not just one, but two last week when I brought Uh-oh. up professional wrestling and made mention of global warming. <laughs> My email has been um, lit up with references to professional wrestling. And global warming, because I mentioned something about the fact that there are experts on both sides of the global warming debate um, uh, who disagree with each other. And it seems like a simple enough sentence, right? Experts on both sides of the debate disagree with each other. But see, it's a holy war. I forgot that it, it's like abortion <laughs> or gun rights or, or uh, you know gnome versus kde it's a it's a mac versus pc mac versus, it's a holy war it's a religious yep. battle it it doesn't actually have anything to do with facts it sure as heck doesn't have anything to do with science it has entirely to do with faith and religion um so people have been telling me that the so-called experts on whichever side they disagree with aren't really experts and that all the real scientists agree that whichever thing they believe in um so message received internet <laughs> I'm both right and wrong. Thank you. Message received. Got to love You got to love the literal net. It's just so much fun to poke. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh we had I didn't I didn't put it in the show because it's like a 15 second voicemail but uh Gary Hart was the mouth of the south and he wasn't blonde. The blonde guy I was thinking of I could I did some trying to to do some research i couldn't come up with his name but he was a manager that played several different manager characters at one point uh he was paul bearer um okay i know who you're talking about and he was dark haired with a little hitler mustache then and then he was another guy who who was blonde at another time but he was a little guy he was one of the managers i was of conflating him with gary hart who was in fact a wrestler turned manager later on who was the mouth of the south so once again Mark's wrong, wrongness has been corrected. Thank you, Internet. 
You gotta you gotta love the literal net. There you go. So I, I try to keep <laughs> this show based soundly in science and talk about things like bad movies and and popcorn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, we certainly stray off into to politics and religion and and all that sort of stuff, and that's fine. Um, but it's just amazing that the that one casual throwaway sentence of, about global warming which didn't have anything to do with global warming i was making the point that experts disagree has resulted in <laughs> vehement reaction from both sides of the debate a flood of emails has yeah so how many of those did you end up you know just auto blocking and deleting without reading uh, i None? read all email i i well let me rephrase that i skim all email i don't ever just auto block it so if, uh, if you send me okay. something it will get my eyes on it um how much at least for a half a second yeah, how much attention i give it is a different thing <laughs> yeah. right as long as Good i brought it up let me bring it out there so that half of the audience will hate me um i do believe global warming is a thing i don't believe humans have a marginal uh, effect uh, have a, a more than a marginal effect on it there we go yep you are i wonder how much more email you're going to get from that one. i'm sure that i'll get plenty but that's my stance and i've i've never been afraid to back an unpopular stance um yeah it, it, you have to be kind of silly to denounce all of the facts that the that the the climate is gradually warming in very small increments mm-hmm. that's true I, I accept that as true well um, i can definitely vouch for that it's yeah. 50 degrees in february in montana yeah there's something wrong and and it's all based Just on saying. you know you look at timelines right and you can pick a slice of any timeline and prove anything right but i accept that the 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 earth is gradually warming hence we're no longer in an ice age that seems to me to be fairly reasonable proof that the earth is gradually warming however the things that took us out of the ice age were not fossil fuels you know man had no effect on that why do we suddenly have an effect today? So there's my my short to piss off many people stance. You want me to put? Hey, Mark, do you want me to take some of that fire off? You no, please take some right of me. Sure, Chris. We can't take the fire off. Right, we we could say <laughs> I'm going to try, but you know it can't hurt to try. You right? could call the Pope a pimp, and nobody would notice it. I can't well, say anything. I think- <laughs> yeah, I could say the Earth has in fact cooled fifty degrees over the last five years, and I get a pass. So, <laughs> so go ahead, Chris. Uh, I was to say I, I currently I agree with you. I think we there is a global warming. I think it's a natural cycle of the Earth, but we are accelerating that cycle. So instead of what took thousands of years, it's shortening to thousand years okay my my rebuttal to that would be that we're accelerating it in the way that an ant accelerates the downfall of a log when it's going off a cliff well it's just i'm just saying we're accelerating something that's natural is my point seth you want to make people mad at you man you know i totally agree in climate change but i don't agree I don't buy the man-made climate change. I think that our recorded history is far... If you accept the Earth has whatever the current age is... Oh, oh we're going to go point- young Earth all of a sudden. The <laughs> no, Earth no, is 6,000 years old, Seth. Clearly, no, everybody no, no. knows that. <laughs> no, but 
you know, when I was in school, it was like 3 billion and now it's up to like six or something like that. But so if the earth is 6 billion years old and we've been recording accurate weather for even say a thousand years, then that 1000 years is far too short. Um, you know, you know, the, is the drought that's plaguing the Western portion of America, is that an, um, is that maybe the natural habitat that we didn't understand because it, we, it had a hundred years of 10 times the average amount of rainfall leading up to that? And so we don't know what the baseline is because we haven't been observing it long enough to say that we have screwed the baseline. That's my take. I can agree with, I can uh, agree with that comment as well. All right. So, gonna, I'm going to extricate us from this. Well, no, I was going to say, even if you're a young Earth person and it's 6,000 years old, you know, a few hundred years is not a big enough slice of 6,000 to accurately predict yeah. either. So, yeah. okay. Wow. I'm, I'm going to go it? there. Come on. I'm, I'm in for do a penny, it. in for a pound. Do it. Do um, it. <laughs> in religious debates, and I'm not talking about debates of, of, god and faith and the afterlife that is a type of religious debate there are many types of religious debate global warming is a religious debate abortion is a religious debate gun control is a religious debate religion being you do the same thing over and over that's the definition of religion it's a ritual and people ritualistically cling to whatever they believe generally it's either what they were brought up believing or the exact opposite of what they brought up believing rarely is it an amalgam of the two um, so yeah. anyway, in, in ritualistic, uh, religious style debates, it does, facts become irrelevant. And so what happens is people bring up, you know, for example, I once sir, saw somebody point at a box of rocks and say in here is conclusive proof of, of evolution in that we can see that this fossil goes to this fossil, goes to this fossil. Well, my smart ass there's no other way to say it response was no what you have conclusive proof of is that you have rocks in a box everything else is conjecture <laughs> and and science what we call science is so much conjecture it's guesswork like you said seth we mm-hmm. we're, we can't even agree on how old uh the earth is because most people past you know uh the 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 late 1800s don't even know how old you know their own societies were we, we weren't keeping good records and so we, yep. we, we would talk about fossil records and all that, and you cherry-pick facts, and, and um, what's the word? It just falls down. Um, it falls down on itself. Yeah. Confirmation bias. That's the psychological term for it. You select, you pay attention to the things that confirm what you already believe. Uh, and it's true everywhere. And, and we just need to admit that there's no difference between the global warming scientist and the Catholic priest. They are educated people who have followed something that they fervently believe. Yeah, I think either one gets to a point to where you take a leap of faith. Exactly. You say, I see these facts and these facts point me to Florida. Somebody else says, I see these facts and they point me to California. So which facts are you looking at in what order? So, you know, I I know that I just lost a lot of people. Those that haven't turned off the show are now yelling at their podcast player device. I'm okay. I've never been a problem, uh, had a problem with being a lightning rod. Uh, it, it, all right. I'm going to stop. That's it's fun. Uh, we could do, and maybe we should do just a whole show about, um, about what science is because we need more, we need 
we need our culture to understand what science is. Um, and too much of our culture, including scientists, have no idea what real science is. Okay, here I go. Uh-oh. All of our modern science is based on observation. It's empirical science, that which can be observed and repeatedly observed. Okay? For example, we all accept as fact that Earth's atmosphere is colorless, odorless, tasteless. Yet, nobody has ever observed anything without Earth's atmosphere being involved. We see it. We see through it all the time. Even, mm-hmm. even if we're taking, looking at photos from outer space, there's air between the lens and our eyes. We, no human has ever seen anything not through human atmosphere. So to, to make a statement that it's odorless, colorless, and tasteless simply means that we have become so inured to the smell and taste and sight of it that we don't notice it anymore. That's not true science. It's true observation, but that's not real science. Okay. That's my, I can go with that. my fundamental flaw with empirical science as it is. So you go to the other side, and then you have people who, who say that I, I can know things without sensing, without seeing them, without empiricism. Well, those people have faith, right? They are believers. They've chosen something. They believe in that something. And they believe that the information comes from, from areas outside their own senses. And we have no way of knowing who is right because we can't, all we have are our own senses. It's like somebody who argues with a non-believer using scripture. Well, that's ridiculous because the non-believer doesn't believe the scripture means anything. So, it, and, and, and a, an empiricist argues against faith using observation. Yet the person who has faith doesn't believe that observation is the essence of belief. You believe without seeing. So they will never see eye to eye, and yet they still keep trying. Yep. Just goes to prove that we'll never be a Star Trek organization. <laughs> well, the, the most most liberal um, scientific thinkers today believe that the cure is to get rid of faith. You get rid of faith, everybody believes in empiricism, the problems are solved. Except that they refuse to recognize that their own empiricism is faith. Faith in their own observations. The religious folks recognize and admit that they believe in things bigger and, and unknowable from themselves. And I think I find that to be the more honest approach. It's hard to say which is right, though. <laughs> Tell you the honest truth, right? Seth is... Go ahead, Seth. Let it go. We, no, we may just dump there, the whole show topic. <laughs> there is a, a quote I recently read by C.S. Lewis, and I'm not going to do the quote justice, but the premise of it is, if you believe in you know, in an evolutionary process that we weren't created, that we just happened, then how can you trust the logic of a mind that just kind of happened right. to be pure, unadulterated logic? So the only way that you can believe the logic of the mind is to admit that it was created by something greater than that. It's like if if you just found this computer that nobody made and just kind of turned up nobody would trust the work that computer did because they wouldn't know where it came from but yet we're saying anyway people get the gist and they can fill in the blanks and you know welcome to 
everyday <laughs> life and religion. It's it's Gnosticism versus agnosticism, and the the you know there are different for, forms of Gnosticism. Gnosticism from the Greek word Gnostic, meaning to know. Uh, there are those who say you can know, and those who say you can't know. And those who say you can know, they always know. If you're a Gnostic, whether you believe in God or you believe in science or you believe in Bob the Giant Spaghetti Monster, you you believe that that everything can be known and that you know it. Agnostics say it can't be known, therefore I have no responsibility for trying to know it. Both are cop-outs. And just to point out that your definition of Gnostic is not the same thing that Christians teach as the Gnostic heresy. Because otherwise, the the Bible thumpers are going to get onto you. I'm trying to head <laughs> off those emails, at least. Oh no, they've already been written. Those yeah. only they're already ready to be go. They're they're already hitting the send button. It's too late. I am not speaking as a representative of the of the Holy Roman Church uh, or the or um, uh, Protestantism. I'm I'm just speaking as a guy who studied a little bit, uh, just enough to be dangerous. There you okay. Go. Speaking of dangerous, how about watching? All seven seasons of a show within a couple of hours. Is that dangerous, Chris? <laughs> well, kind of. Uh, so yesterday I found there is a limit to how much HD content you could stream through a Roku. Um, it turns out to be about a, just over 11 hours of HD content. Nobody had and to pee at any point during that time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it just played. <laughs> okay. It just played. We, we didn't, there, there is no pause in my house unless it's a new episode. It just plays. So yesterday we were being, you know, it's Saturday. We were all being, you know, I was recovering from a migraine and the kids were all be recovering from being sick. So we all just sat around and did absolutely nothing. So we turned on one of, uh, one of my favorite shows, Numbers. Um, and we didn't start at the current season. Of course, we just started at season one and hit play. And didn't come up for air until one o'clock this morning. Well, there isn't a current season of numbers. It was canceled a while back, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, the the most current. All right. I guess would be the better way of putting. Because I'm thinking, I've I love them. that show. If there's stuff I'm missing, I want to know about it. Right. I don't remember what the last season title, what the last number was for the season, but we started at season one, episode one, and just let it go. So it was about eleven and a half hours or show, and then the last episode, the last. Seven minutes we couldn't watch because the Roku said, "I've that's it. I've had it. I'm shutting down. And it went to a black screen with the audio still playing, but no video. And if you hit any of the buttons on the Roku remote, nothing happened. Absolutely wow. nothing. <laughs> so the only way for me to turn the Roku off last night was to take the power cable out. <laughs> Did it recover? Uh, I haven't been, I haven't thought enough to try it yet because I'm curious to find out if it's toast or not because it was hot to the touch. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little worried we just nuked my Roku 3, but that's okay. I have backup. We have a, a Chromecast sitting into in there now doing the same job. So I'm curious to find out if we can melt a Chromecast now. <laughs> Yeah, I we I have a, a dish a DVR, and we we noticed very shortly after we got this particular model that it would overheat, and we thought it was because we had it in a in a media center cabinet and whatever. It turns out it just just bad design. 
it just overheats. Uh, So uh, that device has a USB port on it for plugging in your own media. I stuck a little laptop fan in that USB port and laid it on top, blowing air down, and it's been running for years without any problem. So a fan might solve your problem. It might. But I just think it's or not watching TV for eleven hours <laughs> might also solve your problem. Well, but you know we didn't have anything to do, so it's a good thing you don't pay by the bit in America yet. <laughs> I, well, we, we were talking about that last night when we turned it off because I was telling her the la- the only other provider in my town has a data cap of three hundred gigs. Are oh, you to blown through that the first hour? Uh, well when i was looking at the i was looking at the meter and i before when i was doing my home business we would have blown through that 300 gigs in about three days um now we would blow through it at about day 10 of the month so yeah it's it's a darn good thing i went with a company that doesn't have a data cap 300 gigs uh, even among those who do data caps that's that's a, a small gap I mean, that 300 oh, yeah. gigs is very small. Uh, well, and that's, at least the last time I looked, that's what it was. Um, it, it was just kind of nuts to when they said that they're going to, they upped the bandwidth to meet the provider that I'm with now, but then capped it. So wow. it's like, well, what's the point? <laughs> now, I know that, you know, my, uh, my mom, for example, wouldn't hit 300 gigs in her entire lifetime of usage. Uh, but my house, five people with multiple uh, interface devices, all pulling from from YouTube and Netflix and um, and all these Pandora, other things. Uh, yeah, Pandora. Uh, yeah, we would we would burn through three hundred gigs really quickly. Yeah, so I'd be safe in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we can only get fifty six k, it takes a while. You could actually run it. Uh, for the full month and not actually be able to download 300 gigs yeah that's why i'd be safe (laughs) yeah but uh, i have made my my feelings known about uh metering uh before you're measuring the wrong thing you're capping the Mm -hmm. wrong thing um so let's move on to give me if you're gonna give us 50 megs give us 50 megs and that and don't worry about the capping right we, we've done enough pontificating for now. More on that later. Um, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to our listener feed, feedback. Mike asks about stacking up routers. Um, and I misspelled stacking, and I'm so anal retentive I have to fix it, even though nobody will ever see these notes but me's. <laughs> me's? But but we's. But us. But Hi, guys. Anyway. <laughs> I have a question inspired okay. by Nobody's recent- listening yeah. anymore this week anyway. turned off. So. Hi, guys. I have a question inspired by your recent chat and about uh, Mark's old Boris box, software firewalls, and so on. Uh, I may be about to ask a very daft question, but here goes anyway. I have an old Linksys router gathering dust in a box somewhere. I've considered putting DDWRT on it, but it doesn't support modern Wi-Fi standards, so uh, that would be a waste of time. Instead, I use the router that my ISP provided, which actually fares quite well when you look at reviews, and I enjoy good Wi-Fi throughput. Then I thought, what if I turn off the Wi-Fi on my old Linksys box and put it between my internet and uh, my ISP's router? Would that provide me any increased level security? I suspect it's just not worth the bother, but what are your thoughts? Keep up the great work, Mike the Brit. Uh, Chris, I'll let you take this first. Well, the thing I'm going to say that you're going to run into a big problem with is since you're doubled natting, um, any port forwards are going to be a mess. Uh, doable, but still a mess. Um 
yes, it would give you a little bit more increased security, um, but not enough that would be worth the double NAT, in my opinion. All right. Seth, you have any thoughts? Well, I was going to say a lot of it would depend on how close you place the two together, because when you put wireless uh, receivers next to each other, they kind of fight each other for the stronger signal and they put out more voltage, causing them to uh, be done in sooner. So if you were going to do it, you would want to, you know, maybe string a cable to another room to have that um, you gain you gain the ability to monitor your um, your wireless access point, whereas depending on how your provider is set up, you can't monitor what is going on and through there. So you have more control um, and you, you definitely have more control. And if you set it up correctly, you probably have more security. Well, remember he did say he's going to turn off the wireless right. on the one, on the one device. It, so. If you're, if you're physically turning off the radio, great. If you're just oh, disabling yeah. the SSID, you haven't helped anything. No, you've right. made more problems right. than anything. So Mike, I do very close to what you're talking about doing. I have it the other way around, though. Um, and here's why I think it won't work the way you want to do it. Most, you're, you're a Brit, as you signed your message, Mike the Brit. So the, your mileage may vary. In the U.S., most providers' endpoints, the, the cable modems or the DSL modems that they give you, are hardwired to speak to their network. And and won't speak through the, another device to their network. <clears throat> Just you, you won't do it. Um, I've I've had a good deal of experience attempting that with various providers here in the U.S. and I've never had any success. Uh, they they want to talk to their endpoints, their proprietary endpoints. Now some places, uh, for example, make you buy your own, right? And so they don't have those in place. But you, if you already have one by your cable provider, my guess is the other end of it is provision to only speak to your device by MAC address, most likely. Um, and if you want to right. swap it out, you would have to call them and tell them that you're getting your own, in which case they'll want to take theirs back. And so, again, that's the U.S. model. I don't know if that how it's how it works for you. But what I do is I have my internet, my, my ISP's router, which comes with a Wi-Fi um, antenna as well. I have the Wi-Fi physically disabled. The radio is turned off. I have it in pass-through mode so that it gives my um, router a public IP address. And at that point, it is a bridge. Yep. But it is a natting bridge. bridge mode. Right. It is a natting bridge in that um, it um, takes all of my stuff, all of my traffic, and sends it out a single IP address. So there is a small level of increased protection there, that the same protection you would get from any endpoint. In that uh, it hides the original, the origin, origination, the 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 tunneling address. So when when things go over a multiple, uh, 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 sorry, the language centers of my brain have taken the day off. When <laughs> when it goes out a natting router, even if the NAT is a real address on the other side, so basically standard uh, endpoint device stuff, it uses a, a series of codes called called channels they're they're not really channels they're just arbitrary headers tagged onto it and things with the same header are considered the same stream and the router does the assembling of that so that the end the other the other outside endpoint can't speak to specifically a device 
without going through the router. So that gives you some level of protection, not a lot, but some. Um, so the way I do that is I'm just using my my provider's AT&T's um, router as just a bridge. Give give me a, a single public IP address. But I do have some controls in that device itself over, you know, bandwidth um, and, and the, I can do blacklisting. There's some extra protections that I get there. It's my first line of defense. And then my um, Buffalo router running DDWRT is my second line of defense uh, and also my wireless. Since you want to put wireless on the outside of it, I don't think that's going to work for you. Um, the- well, yeah, and also if, if his wireless is on the cable or the provider's device and not on the um, internal device, he's basically doing a DMZ zone then right? and saying anything that's on the wireless can't see anything on the inside of his network. Yeah, but that's not so, what he's wanting to do. What he's wanting to do right. is, is use his device, is stack them in the reverse order that I have them. So what Chris is saying would be the ultra-secure way to do it. You actually have two Wi-Fis talking mm-hmm. with each other. You attach to one, the other one attaches only to the other Wi-Fi. Or you could even do it with cable. It doesn't have to be Wi-Fi. But that's the way you have purely... And if, well, if you did Wi-Fi, you could have a guest Wi-Fi... Mm-hmm. that attaches directly to the internet without any protections and without any access to your network and then your own wi-fi that's the ultra secure belt and suspenders geek way to do it that's how i have my house actually yeah. <laughs> so i i come over to chris's house and want to hook my phone up to something he's got a public probably unprotected wi-fi or with a very weak password i'm guessing um, yeah and and easy he, to type right and he lets me on that I get I get full access, and in fact, I'm on the other side of his traffic shaping, so I even get more access than what maybe one of his kids does, but I have no access to inside his network. It's the safest right. way to do it. It's also the most labor-intensive to set up and the most uh, maintenance. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the, some of those providers don't allow you to do that. Um, so you have to be careful of what provider you have and what their terms of service are. Um, my my provider, which is Century CenturyLink in the United States, um, they allow you to actually turn their router or their device that they ship you into a transparent bridge. Yeah. There is no once you push that button, that device is now just a hard link between their network and my router. It's a dumb hub running. at that point. Yep. And that's all it is. And there's actually, once you do that, you can't plug anything else into the device. Um, it pretty much makes it completely blank. Uh, yeah, I did that with uh, CenturyLink using one of their routers uh, when I had my yep. Boris box. I, I, so I know exactly what you're talking about. It works. It works well. Um, uh, with AT&T, I have a little better in that I still get the bridge, but I get some control on the bridge side, uh, okay. which I think is really cool. It's minimal control because I'm not doing, I'm not identifying specific traffic there, but I can stop the first level of stuff. So Mike, sure. the way you want to do it, I don't think will work, at least with an American provider wouldn't work, but there are ways to do what you want to do and provide yourself that double layer of security. But in the end, I think your your final sentence is right. It's not worth the bother. I do yeah, it. It's not. I do it because I'm a geek and I enjoy the process. That was a day I spent doing that and it was relaxing and fun to me. Do I yeah. get a great benefit from it? Probably not. It was just something I did one day. Mm-hmm. That's how I did mine, um, and that was the reason I did mine that way. Um, actually, eventually, I'm going to take one of the routers out of the equation and just set up a 
red interface on my um, PFSense box and just do it all through PFSense. Right. And I've done that too, and it works fine. Yep. And my my friends they enjoy it because they can come in, they can jump on my on the network, and they can get without any without any issues. Um, and I don't have to worry about them slurping down my Plex data, you know, with, anything coming out of my my servers that I have here. With my Buffalo router running DDWRT, um, I actually have the ability to fire up a second uh, SSID. SSID. Mm-hmm. Um, using like I can have one using five mega gigahertz and one using two point four gigahertz, and actually physically separate the wave the waves that way. Um, yep. And so that that's you know that's a one hundred ninety nine dollar ish device, way more uh, expensive than the thirty dollar D link that you probably bought at your local electronic store. But again, I didn't buy it because I needed the functionality. I bought it because it was a fun project for me. That that mm-hmm. that didn't come out of of computer household money. It came out of hobby money. Uh, so you got to understand why you're doing these things. Uh, do I think it gives me a great bit of, uh, benefit of security? No, not at all. But it was a fun thing to do. Yeah, um, and like when I a couple of weeks ago when I said I started playing with uh, setting up my snort alerts, um, <laughs> it was just because I wanted to set Once it up to see what happens. Once you flip that switch, everything is an alert. Oh my gosh, terrorists are trying to kill you! Oh, it turns out that's just web traffic. Let's turn that off. Yeah. It's it's actually kind of fun though to see all the alerts that comes in because um, I have mine where it doesn't do anything other than log. Right. So I'm just generating a log file, but it's interesting to see how many port scans hit me in a day, just because it it it's kind it's not very helpful because I can't do anything about it, but it's kind of entertaining. Just look down and go, wow, that's a lot of port scans, right. <laughs> or weird back. And I don't know. I haven't really done the investigation to find out what these particular. I have a couple of scans that are coming through that are using like some weird ARP traffic, and I'm like, I wonder what that is, and why is it on port thirty eight thousand or fifty thousand? So, yeah, I found it, it's, something it's, in my house just the other day, just yesterday actually, that's using IPv6 tunneling over IPv4. Um, wow. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what device I have that's doing that. I need to track it down and try to figure out what that is because that's kind of cool. Um, it's, there's a protocol where you can send, you can you encapsulate IPv6 traffic inside IPv4. So my provider doesn't provide me IPv6. So apparently this, whatever it is, is communicating via IPv6 through, or at least did at one point and it got logged, via IPv6 out on the internet using IPv6 locally, but through an IPv4 tunnel. Um, and wow. I was just scanning through the logs and I saw that and went, Oh, I gotta, I gotta go, go back to that and see what that was. Cause that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. my guess is it's the Plex server. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Cause that it's running be. on a windows seven box that has an IPv6, uh, stack on it. And my guess is communicating with Plex on IP6. That would make sense. Wow. That, that went super that we- geeky right there. <laughs> well, that's what we do though. That's right. <laughs> And I'm Seth has is, is actually gotten up and gone off to have a snack while we're talking. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say something? Hey, welcome back, Seth. Nice. Um, so next, How was the snack? <laughs> next, we have a, uh, a, a rather convoluted and disjointed email from a fellow who calls himself Luke Ward Cookie. 
Um, and Luke Ward, I teased out a, a single question that I thought was worthwhile. Uh, and so here's his ev- heavily excerpted email. It says, I've listened to the EDL archives from number one through number 107. I'm um, sorry. That must have been. Yeah, we're sorry. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that would have been painful, I'm sure. So he went back to April 5th, 2011, episode one. Wow. Um, oh, have we really I been doing this that long? Yes. Yes, we have. Wow. <laughs> Coming up on four years. Um, and we haven't gotten any better at it. Uh <laughs> He says, I've not listened yet to any other podcasts on the network. Uh, Right now, it's the only one currently in production, but there are several others out there. Uh, Or moved past uh, episode 173. He wrote this when 173 was the current episode, Um, except for uh, a few minutes here and there. I plan to do both of these things at some time. On a personal note, sometime in 2015, I will apply some conditions to my personal media and information libraries. Those conditions will be based on content creators. I want no more than 20% of my total library to be from non-Christian sources. This means I'll be entertained and informed, at least by 70%, by content uh, from a worldview that I want to see more of. I would like to know, for EDL particularly, should I put Mark, Chris, and Seth under the 75% Christian-produced content or 25% non-Christian-produced content? Luke, that's by far a unique question. Uh, and, yeah. and I suspect as you continue to listen, you will find the answers to those because, uh, we're, we're fairly open, uh, about what we believe. Uh, but I, and, and it may be another several weeks before you get so far up that you're actually listening to this one. Uh, but I, I thought it was an interesting question and one that I'll answer. Uh, first off, thanks for not calling it a Christian podcast because this podcast has never accepted Jesus into its heart. Um, and I hate it when people call it Christian music or Christian books. Um, only a human can be a Christian. Uh, I myself am a professing follower of Jesus Christ, um, and uh, therefore you could put me down as someone who uh, is producing content that is produced by someone who shares your worldview. I try not to make this show heavy handed in terms of my faith, but I don't hide from it either. Uh, So, guys, I'll let you answer that question in your own way. I'll let Seth go first. Okay. Well, I also am a Christian and I don't put it as eloquently as Mark, but yeah, I don't really believe that, you know, books, movies, or media can be saved. Um, but you know, I try, I, I, I don't necessarily, I don't try to convert people or lobby for my faith here. Although I mention it from time to time, I just try to talk about Linux and technology and silliness in life in general. So that's, <laughs> That's me. I don't know, you know, so is it Christian produced? Yes. Is this like Christian worldview based? I don't, I don't know. Um, I probably, I wouldn't say that we would be anti-Christian based, but you know, we don't really strive to make a point in the religious discussions of the world. All right, Chris. Very elegant, Seth. Um, I myself am a Catholic based so you can say uh, you pick your way on your belief on that one um you're going straight to hell Jesus that's right so. i'm done it's over i'm right i'm driving the bus who's getting on uh but you know you know i i i personally practice being a catholic catholicism is if you would say um but i also practice a little bit more along the lines of um a taoist or a the golden rule type person so do unto others as you want done unto yourself 
is my number one rule in my house. So it may not be a hundred percent Catholic, but it's more the right way in my opinion. There you go. Uh, that, I, I, as I said, we've never shied away from, and we've made statements to this effect uh, in the past, mm-hmm. but nobody's ever asked the question so bluntly. So we've never answered it so bluntly either. Uh, I am um, a right wing, uh, ultra conservative, uh, gun toting. Actually, I don't own a gun. Um, uh, you know, Protestant Baptist. Um, I'm actually ordained as a deacon in the Baptist Church, a licensed minister uh, in the Baptist Church. So uh, I've performed weddings, and I, I, you know, do this the the sacraments. That that's that is a part of my life. This show is a part of my life. I don't see that the two are mutually exclusive, nor are they necessarily. Does one have to inform the other? Uh, I don't believe that uh, it's okay. For people who are believers to do things that don't necessarily reflect directly on what they believe. I've, I've, I've been told and I've heard other people uh, told that if you're a Christian, everything you should do, you do should point people to Christ. I, that's a fine mindset, but one I don't happen to agree with. It's okay to just enjoy something that isn't Christian, specifically, that isn't Christ-centered, you know, I enjoy the Avengers movies. Pretty sure Christ is only mentioned in there as an insult or as a swear, if he's mentioned at all. That doesn't make it distasteful, in my opinion. I had a conversation with a cousin of mine uh, years ago. Uh, I had some Metallica in my CD collection, and she saw it. And and uh, she's one of those who, who believes that, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you as the story goes on. Uh, she said, why, why do you have this here? I said, because it's good music. And she said, that's that's reason enough for you? Uh, yeah, actually, that's entirely reason enough for me. And she said, well, I believe that music was created to worship God, and any music that doesn't do that um, is not appropriate and shouldn't exist. So you've wow. never sang Wheels on the Bus Go Round and Round to your kid? How about Happy Birthday? Those songs don't worship <laughs> Jesus. Are you going to apply things? You can't wow. cherry pick. You can't say you believe this, but only as it relates to Metallica and not as it relates to Pop Goes the Weasel. You got to pick one. I believe that you pick, right. you test everything and keep that, which is good. Plain and simple. Yeah. Which is why I always fall back in my beliefs and my, in my teaching to my kids that the golden rule is probably the best rule of all. Um, because that way, unless you want to be whatevered, you won't do it to whoever. And Lucord, I appreciate your choice that you've made. You want to be surrounded by people who share your worldview. I, I accept that, and I, I respect that. I don't agree with it. Um, I think um, that some of the best ways to cement your own faith is to go toe-to-toe with people who don't share it. Yeah, um, well, and also, I wish I, it was, if you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, it's it's kind of a good film. Eric Little in there makes the statement, um, you know, God created me to run fast, and when I run, I basically feel closer to God. So, you know, you're running down the he's running down the road. He's not, you know, stopping to pass out tracks. Uh, he's doing something he enjoys, and he's doing it with his whole heart. And he's not like you know doing something antagonistic towards God with his whole heart. So, you know, I. I put my effort into this podcast and 
you know, hopefully people will go, you know, he sounds like a good guy. I wonder what it is about him. And then that would give me a platform later, maybe. But if all I ever do is, you know, you're going to go to hell. Here's this track. Read this book to find out three secrets to prosperity. Did you tie the church this weekend? <laughs> if I do all that, nobody's going to listen to anything I have to say. So, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> definitely an atypical show um definitely definitely. an atypical show did is this what you were thinking when you titled it that's how we roll i wasn't actually but it works doesn't it it really does it's the next question that that garnered the title that's how we roll uh travis asks what applications we use he said i had an idea for future shows what if you guys came up with a list of linux applications that you use the best app for x and then maybe geek out for a minute on the ins and outs of that app and how to really get it to sync this would help me and some uh of the noobs to get uh linux uh a good foot in the door on the everyday things that we want to do but don't know what's the best app for the job these topics could span from firewalls to dvd rippers um and would be a very in tune with the everyday linux user theme anyway just a thought keep up the good show i look forward to each one sincerely travis so as soon as i read this i thought well travis we've we've done that um mm-hmm. you know you just uh you must be a new listener to the show you didn't know that we've done that so then i thought well when did we do that it turns out we did that on january 22nd 2012 <laughs> episode 36 Maybe it's okay to go back and revisit that again. <laughs> yeah, I would think that we could probably go back and revisit that. Yeah, so instead of Travis saying go listen to episode 36, we're going to we're going to do it again because some of those answers have likely changed uh since then. So that's oh, sure. the idea. <laughs> that's how we roll, but it turns out this show is about us as individuals and opening our hearts to you as well as our hard drives. Um I hope that's okay with you cuz it's what we're doing. Um so we'll, <laughs> we'll go straight to there and I compiled a list of the stuff I use every day. Not all of this is desktop. Not all of this is um um end user oriented some of it's server oriented but this is the stuff i use but before i go down my list and then turn it over to chris who says yeah pretty much everything you just said i'm gonna let chris start (laughs) and then we'll fill in the blanks so chris tell us what you use on a regular basis well on a day-to-day basis um i i would have to say firefox and chrome that's every morning guaranteed you use both. Uh, the, is there a reason you use one over the other? It depends on what I'm going for. Um, because for some reason, and I'm thinking it's just my canary in the coal mine activity feeling. Um, I usually end up with Chrome being overloaded with plugins. And so it's really slow and boggy, but it has a lot of the, my features for my casual browsing needs. If I'm just out there kind of you know, using stumble to stumble through different websites or, you know, just casual browsing. Now, if I'm doing something with a purpose and I want to be, and I want to make sure that my machine is going to be 100% is not safe because there's no such thing as being safe on the internet, but as, as protected as I could possibly be, because maybe I'm going down a road investigating, um, a friend's infection. Um, I'll load up Firefox with all the security plugins tied in. You know, no script, flash block, you know, everything is tied down as tight as I can get Firefox to be. Um, and then it's different tool for a different task, at least for Firefox and Chrome. All right. Does that makes sense. 
So, by uh, the way, I just realized that I left out a listener email or voicemail, <gasps> but we'll come back to it next week because we've already gone so far. So, anyway, continue sure. on um, <laughs> your list of things you use, not necessarily daily, but frequently. Sure. Um, the next thing I would say, the next thing I would possibly use during the day um, or as a regular thing that I open up, it would definitely have to be um, any of the office suites, you know, be it Google's office suite or Libra office suite. Um, either one of those would be high on the list, depending on what it's for. Um, because if it's local material, <laughs> you said, okay, Google, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. And I'm trying to cancel it. And I finally got it to cancel because it made um, my, but that's, go too. <laughs> but that's one thing I use a lot of actually is, is Google now. Um, I use that thing every day. Uh, but so LibreOffice or Google Docs, depending on what it is. Um, if it's something complicated, like if I'm working on our, my personal budget or things of that sort, it's usually all in LibreOffice because of the more delicate formulas. They don't seem to translate well to Google Docs, at least not lately. Um, I haven't tried it recently with the new updates, so I'm going to go back and revisit that. Um, but I use a lot of Google Keep. Um, since they added the ability to share notes with other people, um, I've been using Google Keep immensely with my wife and my son and just about everyone else I get Google, <laughs> get to use Google Keep um, because it's on all of our phones. And then uh, definitely I'm not so much into VLC anymore because I haven't been watching much media on my actual PC, but that is my um, go-to media viewer on the computer. Um, definitely VirtualBox and Plex and, um, geez, what else? PF Sense is another one that I use a lot of. Um, so, well, so to, let's go through some of those are pretty obvious, right? Uh, Google Keep, that's an Android app. It's not a Linux app, uh, but it's a note keeping. Right. It's, it's similar to Evernote or something like that. Um, yep. VLC, you, you mentioned is media. Plex, we talk about all the time, but not everybody knows what PFSense is. Okay, well, PFSense is my router slash firewall um, device that I have in. Yeah, it, it's my Boris box. Um, I have all sorts of things plugged into that when it comes to security, logging, um, bandwidth shaping. Uh, pretty much anything you would do through a router is done through that PF box, um, which. You know, when it comes to uh, anything with your network, that's the first place that needs to be. And it's currently running on a dual-core Pentium 4 with 8 gigs of RAM because I could. Um, way overkill for the need. Around. Yeah, I just had an extra. Well, it was my daughter's old machine that had a bad hard drive. And since then, they've my daughter and my son now share a machine because she didn't want to wait for me to rebuild it. So now I just took that and made it the Plex box. And uh, currently I'm looking at changing my file server because I'm currently running um, Unraid as my in-house file server. Um, but I have to get spousal approval to buy my file server that I want to get because I'm tired of managing it. Uh, <laughs> but Unraid is a great file server if you need one. It does a good job of pretty much... Every protocol, uh, it runs ultra light. I don't, I think it's running on an old P3 machine, um, with a whole bunch of hard drive stuffed in it. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, there's DDWRT on my access point. Um, a lot of Google apps and a lot of a lot of Android apps. Now that I'm starting to burn through my tablets and my phones, All right. I can't think of anything else. Um, let's see. Well, obviously, Audacity for our recordings, um, XChat for chatting, um, Handbrake for encoding, um, Steam. Team viewer for remote support for my friends and family. Uh, but that's not Linux exclusive. Right. That's what I was going to say. A lot of these things are cross platform and, and you'll find yep. that, that there, you want to say what is the best thing for X in Linux? Often the answer is the same thing that it is for Windows and Mac. Right. Um, because a lot of times those guys, well, because there's so many more people that can, you know, cross platform develop on the same tool um i kind of wish that team viewer would have a better linux version because currently their linux version is just a wine wrappered version of team viewer which kind of annoys me but it works so i'm not going to complain too loudly um and then of course you know you have your file synchronizing programs dropbox copy um those are my two file synchronizing programs Geez, I don't know. That's, that pretty much covers everything. Um, Google Voice for when I want to give people a phone number that isn't my phone number, but still rings me. You know, because you have those forms that you don't really want to give them personal information. So you have throwaway emails and throwaway phone numbers. Um, God, I don't know what else to even bring up. Um, okay. I, I often yeah. when, when people, We've, we've talked about this a number of times. When you, when you list the things that you use every day, more and more the list includes websites and web apps rather than, than physical apps. Cause that's, that's the way the world is going. Uh, right. So it's know, going less, less machine, less machine driven and more, um, cloud driven. Right. Ecosystem driven. Seth, do you, you have go. anything that you want to say? In ter- you don't use Linux every day like the rest of us. But I'm sure you have some some stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't really have anything that's not on y'all's list because I don't really do much heavy lifting on computers uh, unless I'm fixing them for someone else. But the one one point I wanted to make about using multiple browsers, it's really I use it most effectively because, like, I have a Google, um, I have a two different Google accounts. So rather than try to, you know, remember which one is in which tab or anything, I just know that this Google account, I only access in Firefox and this Google account, I only access in Chrome. And same thing with my Yahoo email addresses. I have multiple ones of those. I have, if I'm in this browser, I know it's this Yahoo account. If I'm in this other browser, I know it's this Yahoo account. So that's a very easy way that I use to differentiate you know, which identity I'm accessing a site as. So, you know, and that makes a difference, uh, especially with Google, because I have different docs um, under my different Google accounts. So, you know, if I want to access, you know, this document, I need to go to Chrome because that's the one it is. And some of them are shared between users and then some of them aren't just because I haven't taken the time to share them yet. But that's really the main reason that I use multiple browsers on a regular basis. Okay. Any particular Linux apps you want to mention? 
Um, no, I mean, you know, I, I love VLC. I prefer LibreOffice over OpenOffice, more of a preference thing for me. Um, audio Mux, I believe, was what I used for my podcatcher when I was uh, running my Linux distro all the time. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it's VLC uh, to play the media that I have on my flash drive or if I want to listen to a CD or watch a movie um, or I'm just accessing websites. Okay. And my list, in no particular order, uh, I use both Firefox and Chrome. Uh, Chrome for the Googly stuff for Gmail uh, and for uh, Google Docs pretty much exclusively because it seems to work better. Firefox is my daily driver. Uh, Firefox is uh, where I do my Facebook and my Google Plus and my general Amazon searches and, and you know, the editing the website. That's that's the thing that I like most because of its extensibility, right? Chris mentioned the plugins. Originally, Chrome, uh, Firefox was the guy that could do plugins. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's that they got me early on of, of Chrome came later with plugins, but I was already entrenched in Firefox uh, and I already had it configured the way I wanted. I've said before I was using Firefox uh, back when it was uh, called Firebird. Uh, it was pre-released yep. and it was uh, a single zipped file that you ran off of your desktop or wherever you wanted to put it. Uh, I've been I in this, loved it back then. Yeah, I've been in this ecosystem a very long time. Uh, Chrome I like. Um, Firefox is home, but I use them both every day. Uh, yeah, I'm per- personally I'm starting to move back to Firefox over Chrome as my daily driver. Uh, I so. do I do IE at work because I have to. Um, Me too. Uh, and I keep a Chrome portable and a Firefox portable on my pen drive for for work stuff when I don't want to use a crappy browser. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Handbrake is something I use regularly. It's the tool uh, that I use for ripping DVDs and for uh, converting media files in general. Um, Pigeon, and again, uh, Chrome, Firefox, both uh, cross-platform. Handbrake, cross-platform, you can get it anywhere. Pigeon, you can get it anywhere. Pigeon is um, the, the instant messaging app that I use and have used it on Windows and on Linux. Pretty sure there's a Mac version. And it just, it works across, like right now, I am logged into the Element OP chat room using Pigeon. I also have yep. contacts using XAMPP on other servers. I have uh, my my Google Talk. You can plug in a Facebook chat. I'm not on Facebook that much. But I like things that can do everything in, in one place. So Pigeon it is, P-I-D-G-I-N. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I want to say I really... You know, back when I was re- managing multiple uh, instant messenger clients, Pigeon was my go-to as well. Um, I would still pull IRC out of it though and use it use an actual IRC exclusive app for that. But I would have, oof, um, yeah, I think I eventually at one time had up to nine different accounts in Pigeon's library, um, and they just fell off. I just don't use them anymore. So. I've I've had a Yahoo Messenger account since it was called Yahoo Pager. Uh, go back yep. to like 1995 or six. Um, still log, log into that account every day. Uh, I have a Skype plugin for Pigeon so that I can text chat using Skype. The most inefficient text chat thing in the world. But I have friends and family who only want to use that. So yeah, instead of re- being resistant, 
I can just throw it into Pigeon. Whatever anybody, I've got yeah. a cousin who only uses AOL Instant Messenger. God bless her. Uh, but because I want to <laughs> chat with my cousin, I fire that up. You know, and I, again, I've had account there since the the 90s. Uh, so Pigeon, uh, Swiss Army knife of messaging. Yes, and a great tool. Right. Uh, um, next, are on, you using any of the security plugins? The like um, off the record and stuff no, like that. No, I don't say anything that's that important. I'm pretty sure I've Just never said a credit card number over instant message. Um, <laughs> that's for SMS, obviously. Send that over the over the the waves that way. That was there. You go. That, don't do that. I was kidding. Ever, never, <laughs> ever. <laughs> As Chris has already mentioned, uh, Wine, for those things that just have to work in Windows and uh, and you can only get the Windows version, Wine is is standard in my toolkit. I find myself using it less and less, but I still do need to run Windows stuff sometimes. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, GIMP, uh, my favorite uh, photo editor and has been forever. It is it is way overkill for you know removing red eye and adjusting uh, things and if you just want to apply an Instagram like filter, there are lots of other Google Google Photos does a great job of that as part of Google Plus. Mm-hmm. There are other tools. F Spot I think comes in uh, yeah, default on uh, Ubuntu based distributions, but it's easy to find if, if otherwise. But uh, I again I've done photo editing for years uh, as a hobby um, and you know just not just retouch but hardcore photo editing. I use GIMP for that. Um, Libra slash open office. I was a big open office fan. Um, uh, son kind of went a little nut job with, with open office and I jumped ship to Libra office. Um, son has since relinquished everything open office related brands and, and code and everything to Apache and Apache is doing a fine job, but here's why I choose Libra office over open office. The Apache license, uh, won't let them incorporate things using another license. The Apache license is actually one of the most free open source licenses. Do what you want with it. Business, we don't care. Personal, we don't care. Resell it, we don't care. The Apache license is great for that. LibreOffice is a different, uh, I think it's GPL3. I'm not sure. Um, that sounds about right. But it it allows for you to use other code as long as you attribute that code and provide a source code link to it. So anything that OpenOffice does that's innovative, LibreOffice can just suck it in without asking. OpenOffice can't do the same thing. So any enhancements or advances that the LibreOffice team does, the Apache team, the OpenOffice team, have to recreate if they want to use it. They can't just suck the code in. So that's why right now LibreOffice is the front runner. But uh, I'm still an OpenOffice fan. VLC, we've talked yeah, about I, video and client. Yeah. Uh, Swiss Army knife of, of video. There's very little it won't play. Um, VNC, that's been around forever. AT&T Labs created this tool uh, similar to PC Anywhere back when PC Anywhere was the market um, dominant remote support app. And they said, we own engineers. Why should we pay for that? So they built VLC. They released it to the to the web. I've been using it for decades uh, Audacity. Every show we do is edited and recorded on Audacity uh, when it doesn't crash. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest, Audacity. Uh, VirtualBox uh, and VMware. I use both of those for for virtual machines. DDWRT. That is right now the the firewall software that I'm running. Uh, I mentioned it several times. It is a custom hack of the original um, uh, Linksys firmware. 
uh, but it runs on lots of different stuff now. It's it's solid. It's it's geeky. It's not simple. If you want simple, Smoothwall is there. Smoothwall is great. It's easy. Um, they have free stuff, but the, you can also pay for advanced plugins that are super easy, like uh, their content filter, Smooth Guardian. Uh, awesome. I used it at the school where I was employed. I used it at home. Um, it, it's a good one. XBMC is my primary media player. Plex is my primary media server. I use XBMC as a client to Plex because I oh, like okay. I like its I like the XBMC interface better than the Plex interface by like half a percent. But since I can have that half percent, why shouldn't I? Um, and then I'm an Apache MySQL guy. Anytime I'm going to fire up a web server, uh, point old lamp stack, Linux, Apache, yeah. MySQL, PHP. Um, I started coding in PHP um, many years ago. I still hand code a lot of web pages because I'm stupid. <laughs> there's so much, there's so many good code generators out there today that now can actually produce clean code. It wasn't the case for so long. It used to be that you could not read the code produced by a Dreamweaver or a, you know something else like that. You had to use a tool to read it. Um, and I, I would open up Notepad and start typing. That's the way I coded most web pages for a long time. Um, but now, you know, like uh, all sorts of plugins actually write really clean code. Um, my Drupal site, you know, it uses uh, FC, FCK editor, I think it is, um, ma- makes nice clean code that is actually editable and usable, but I still crack out the old PHP sometimes. Um, and that's that's my inexhaustive list, but just the stuff that came to me that I use every day. But as you'll see there, the top of the list is uh, is webs, web stuff, uh, Firefox and Chrome, because most of my world more and more is becoming over the web. And I think that's true for everybody. Well, especially since you can put so much on your phone nowadays. Right. Um, it's, it's almost, it's ridiculous on how much power we have packing in our pockets. Uh, it just blows most people's mind. You know, any of the geeks that actually think about it for half a second, they're like, you know, my HTC M8, that's a quad core f- processor. Right. In my pocket. Why not use it? You're reaching out into space and grabbing your music off of a server out there somewhere and playing it through your earbuds in real time because you can. Exactly. Right. And the the earbuds are wireless, too. You know, I have a decent pair of Bluetooth stereo headphones. So why not use it if it's there? Seth, you may remember this. I invented Pandora like in 1991. You and I were taking a road trip somewhere. And we were out in the middle of nowhere, and we couldn't get any radio signal. And I said, you know, we have these cell phones now, these newfangled cell phones. What somebody should do is create a service that transmits your music, your personalized music, over cell phone bands. You have a cell phone receiver in your car, and everywhere you go, as long as you're in range of a cell tower, you have your collection of music. I invented Spotify and Pandora way back then. Turns out the internet was the way to do it, but it still comes over cell towers for the most part. When I'm driving down the road, streaming it through my car, um, I'm doing it over cell towers. So uh, I should have patented that I, thing. I think we were actually going to visit Marie one day. Yeah, that I think that right. was the yeah. trip. So, wow. That was a long time I ago. Cell band. You know, personally, I wish cell bandwidth was cheaper because then I'd have even more stuff that would be on my phone and not. But up here in BFE, it's super pricey. And there's no technical reason for it not to be cheaper. It's expensive because you'll pay it. Yep. And there's no other choice. 
All right, so we have uh, pontificated long and hard this show, uh, leaving us very little room for uh, any news. Uh, but we will do a couple of, of links, maybe Seth pick like three. Uh, and while you're picking those, I will tell you about our wonderful friends over at linuxacademy.com uh, who make this show possible. Not really. We would do it without them. We did do it before them. Uh, but <laughs> they're our friends. We like them, and you should too. Linuxacademy.com is your place to learn how to be become a Linux guy. Um, even you know the, their stated goal is to take you from being a beginner to a Linux administrator. But they've branched out beyond that now. They've recognized, uh, like Travis, who started this uh, whole thread off, that there are a whole bunch of people out there who are who are not really looking to be administrators. Uh, they just want to use this Linux thing, and they need some education. So they have a whole strand of courses now uh, designed at being a beginning, beginning Linux user. Uh, but they they have that. Uh, of course, they have the server stuff. They have they'll prepare you for certifications. They have uh, uh, coding stuff now. They've just started a Ruby on Linux course uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they uh, also have the Amazon Web stuff. Uh, there's there's so much out there. It's not just Linux Academy anymore. But hey, that's their name. They're going to stick with it. It's Linux Academy Plus these days. Um, high quality videos. Step-by-step study guides offered in a PDF format. If you're one of those guys who likes to print things out and and hold a piece of of dead tree in your hand, uh, you can do that. And you can annotate on those and do what you need to do while you're watching the video. And then when you think you've got it, you've read about it, you've watched it done, you want to do it yourself, you hop on over to their Linux uh, web plat- uh, server platform, their their uh, labs uh, platform, that's the word I was looking for, where you can fire up to four different machines. Uh, you can choose from eight different Linux distribution, but you can have four of them running at once in Amazon's cloud service, so they're lightning fast and almost instant. If you break something, you can rebuild it with, with literally the click of a mouse. Um, and you get these four uh, machines that can interact with each other in their own way. Uh, they can even interact with the real world. So they can reach out of that uh, lab environment in a safe way. Um, and so you have the opportunity to put everything into practice. So you can see it done. You can read how it's done. And you could do it yourself. And you can listen. I guess you can close your eyes and just listen to the videos. They have all the ways that people learn covered. Um, hundreds of videos at this point. Uh, um, and when you're done, when you've gotten the, when you've watched the videos and you've experienced it, they got po- practice quizzes. They got the quizzes that'll make sure that you really know what you think you know. And then when you're ready to say you go on for your certification, they have practice uh, certification exams. And with without exception, people who have passed the practice exam have been ready to pass the real exam. And in fact, uh, the CompTIA and uh, Linux Plus guys um, agree with them. The LPI, uh, Linux Professional Institute, uh, say that their content is is so good that you can actually apply for certification right from the Linux Academy website. They've they've built that in there. They're, they they have certified these people as high quality content. And how much you're going to pay for this? They're going to really stick it to you. I'm sorry that I I really wanted to be uh, generous with these people, but their price is a whopping twenty five dollars a month. So less than the cost of a gourmet gourmet pizza, uh, you can get all of this education for a month. But if you want to buy more than a month, I, I recommend you, you you drop out your throw down your twenty five dollars, try it for a month. You don't like it, you haven't lost a whole lot. You do like it, and you're probably going to. If you're serious about learning, you're going to like what they have to offer there. Buy a quarter the next time. That's three months. That's only sixty five dollars. So now you're paying just a little over twenty dollars a month. If you're really serious about it, buy a year, $215, which breaks down to just under $18 a month. 
you, you, you it's just it's it's bargain basement prices for gourmet quality um, content at at less than eighteen dollars a month. When you go, uh, use the uh, the link uh, every, every uh, linuxacademy.com slash everyday linux, and you'll get a special price break. And those prices are in flux, so I'm not going to say what they are, but you pay less if you use our link. Plain and simple. linuxacademy.com slash everyday linux. Let them know that we sent you. So that's all I have to say about that. Seth, what news show uh, topics do we want to discuss this week? Okay, well, uh, we'll go in order. On the ones I, I rearranged them there. Okay. So the first one, you know, we talk a lot about DRM here and I just don't, re- you know, and I understand the reason for DRM. I think when you DRM a coffee pot, you <laughs> probably went too far. And so, um, some people had, and you can go to YouTube and look Keurig, uh, like coffee hacks or whatever. And it's one of the most things. And basically, the public has rejected the 2.0 thing their cells have tanked, but this company has come out with, they call it a freedom clip. You can put it on the bottom to cover the port and they don't charge for it. You just have to like go to their website and request a clip, or you can like buy a package of their generic brands and they throw the clip in there for free. You so don't have it, to buy their coffee though. You get, no, the clip you don't have just to. because they want to stick it to the man. And I love that. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, you know, I just, um, talking about the freedom clip and the link on where to get one that will be in the show notes as well. Again, you know, I love Keurig. I bought one for the staff at my church and I occasionally, they, they seem to love Starbucks Sumatra. So I, uh, I, I pay for those when I go buy a Starbucks sometime. Um, but I refuse to buy any of the green mountain since, uh, I heard about the 2.0 thing coming out. So, you know, they lost my money. Ooh, I'm going to put them out of business, but, um, you know, so green in, mountain is produced by Keurig. I didn't know that. Yes. That's okay. their brand. So, um, but yeah, so that's wow. just, you know, if you, if you like the Keurig, but the whole DRM thing, you're against that. Here's kind of a way to, to stick it to them and you can go back to using the generic cups. Um, and you know, that don't have it. And plus the whole reason they said when they were initially developing it, they were using anti counterfeiting technology, but the co- corporate spin is to help maintain a proper brewing temperature by reading the cup. Um, right. so it's just, it's a load of crap. Um, and I, you know, again, if DRM is the way you want to go, I think DRMing a coffee pot is a bit too much. But the whole reason they did it is their patents were running out and they were afraid that the generics would cut too deeply into their profit margin. Uh, that's my editorialized comment on them in no way a statement of fact. <laughs> so, uh, the, I had a, I had a transition and I forgot what it was. Raspberry Pi 2 uh, has come out. I was super excited about this. Went to buy one and they were sold out in like nine seconds. Go figure. Yes. They weren't supposed to come out to like 2017, but um, they decided to come out just a wee bit early and they're keeping the price the same. Um, you get up to a gig of RAM and you have a quad core processor and it's even they're even Microsoft is even going to have a version of Windows 10 that runs on it. Yeah. So so it's a quad core processor, but a faster. The the original was a, a one a 700 megahertz uh, single core processor. This is right. six gigahertz cores. 
So, uh, I mean, four gigahertz cores for for an over six hundred percent performance improvement, plus twice wow. as much RAM at the same price. That's it the just goes thing. to show. It just goes to show that things are getting so cheap nowadays. You know, the tech is so easy to build anymore that there's no reason for a high cost on some of this stuff. I'm on the let me know when this comes back into stock list because I want one of those. Because the, the Raspberry Pi, as awesome as it is, just can't handle some of the number crunching stuff that I want to do. Like, for example, this quad-core gigahertz processor would probably be a good Plex server, not just yeah, a client anymore. Because it, be. it would have the processing power to... Uh, to um to transcode live at that point, so I'm I really want one of these and at thirty five bucks, I mean if you've already got like a case and and all the peripherals and everything, you're literally just dropping in a new board and you'll need a, an increased power supply because it requires one and a half amps over one uh, instead of one amp, um but done for for you know fifty bucks or less, uh, I I really want one I will have one it's just a matter of when <laughs> he it's will me. be mine. Yes. <laughs> I shall own you, and you will be mine. <laughs> Not today, I will love man. him and I'm hug going him to buy and call him George. Cash? Uh, Wayne's World. Just watched it recently. Um, <laughs> Crunchbang is going away? Apparently, this is from Fosforce.com, and I just I just found this out today. I came across this story. Uh, the lead developer, Philip Newborough, um, he released a statement that says, I have decided to stop developing Crunchbang. And then he goes on and kind of talks about it. So again, it doesn't necessarily mean that Crunchbang is dead, but the lead developer who pretty much the only reason there's a Crunchbang is because of him. He's moving on with his life. So again, um, and I don't mean that like, Ew, computers are gross. It just means that he's ready to do something else. And, uh, so he is leaving the development of Crunchbang behind. So, you know, I don't know. Is that better or worse? You know, is, may, there's a chance that because he's gone, uh, the community will pick up and it will go on to be better than ever. And it will be the one distribution to rule them all, but that probably won't happen. Um, it's probably going to be the end of Crunchbang. And, um, you know, if that's the case, then that adds more uh, developing talent into the pool of the other distros. Hopefully, they won't fork it into four different versions of Crunchbang um, that that just and turn turn them all into garbage. That's my fear. Hmm. That particular thread is at page eleven at the at the time of recording. So I'm curious to see. I'm not going to read the whole thread just to see what's going on, but. Man, that's a lot of comments and interestingness to it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's what we've said many times about you know the part of the the forking and the 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 um, rampancy of Linux distributions. You know, you want to change a wallpaper, call it a new distro. The problem is many of them are main ba- maintained by one or two people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they come and you, you love them. They, they become awesome, uh, integral parts of your, I just used the word awesome. Now I'm, I've, see, I, I'm sensitive to it. Everything is awesome. <laughs> they become integral <laughs> parts of your, of your work life. Uh, and then they go away because that one guy doesn't want to be trapped doing the college project he started 12 years ago. Um, you know, and that's, that, that's, he has that right. But it's frustrating at the same time. And that's where um, sometimes having a big 
uh, company behind you is a good thing, a la Android that has shipped over a billion units because it has a bunch of and, uh, companies behind it and not just one guy. Oh, you, uh, you I added, sk- yeah, yeah I, I, I had put that down at the bottom. Hold on. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> wow. You, you threw me for a loop there. I was all queued up on the other one. Um, but yes. Yeah, so Android, they ship, they shipped in this last quarter, one billion with a B. Um, and you know, everybody wants to talk about how Android's about to die because Google might lose control or it'll be forked to death and the empire will come crashing down. But one freaking billion units. That's a lot of units shipped. I mean, so basically, what what's the population? Six and a half billion. So l- more. That's one out of every seven per- people. So you're talking fifteen percent of the market. Yeah, eighteen percent of the population. Yeah, and that's, that's just shipped this quarter. That's not all the people who had stuff last quarter. Um, you're talking a very. I mean, still, it's a minority of the world population, but. A, a significant portion is going to have Android because, you know, it's it's cheap and it's out there. So One out of every seven people on the planet bought an Android device between October and December 2014. That's, that's, amazing, a, that's a lot of people. Wow. F- yeah, Facebook would love those numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the... That there's lots of permutations of that, right? There's a um, a cyanogen mod, and and the well, new no, they're not counting, that. right? But they're all Android. Yeah. Right? Well, no, not cyanogen. That that's like a separate thing. Uh, Apple or and um, and uh, Amazon, the Fire. That's Fire. a separate thing. So you know, they're even though it's Android, Android sales? no, that's not Android. Okay. So that's a that's a lot. So it's way more. If you figure out all the figure in all the things that are based on Android, yeah, any of the derivatives, yeah, because uh, again, Amazon, the Fire TV is Android at its core. Uh, the the Android the the Fire tablets, Android, the, all those One Plus Ones, they sold over a million units. Um, they're um, are based on Android, so big numbers. Um, off, and what is that? Is that the power of free? That's why I wanted to do this one, not just because it's about numbers, but why Why is it? Why is Android so much better in terms of sales than Apple? And I have to think that that's the power of free. Free as in no cost, but also free as in you can do stuff with it if you want to. And, right. and oftentimes that is, you know, kind of poo-pooed. People don't want to admit that. When we talk about open source, you know, it, people say it's it's uh, no cost is way more important than the ability to modify it. I think Android is proving us wrong in that. Now, the problem, the reason the Linux desktop isn't winning is because the Linux desktop was already well-formed, or, or the desktop was already well-formed uh, before Linux ever came to prominence, and it's not really, but it became well-known. Android was right there at the beginning. Apple started it. Android very quickly came along after with something that was almost as good, and then as good, and now in some cases better, at no cost. Well, Not no, only no cost, but with the ability to make your own changes. Right. I think we would have to be honest and say the first Android that came out was crap by the current standards of the day. Um, but they caught up fast. Right. So I, they, they released an inferior product and then developed the heck out of it. 
So. The G1 in 2008 was almost as good as the iPhone of 2007, but there was already a new iPhone in the works at that point. Right, um, but there had already been a few versions of Android before that came out. Right. Okay. So, but yeah, they it, they they started late to the game, but early late. You know, they they were slow getting out of the box. Um, you know, Microsoft didn't get didn't get started until the other runners had already finished their first lap. Right. Um, so that that's why they, even with the billions they have to come to bear, are an also ran in the smartphone market. Um, but I, I really think that Android shows us the power of free. Uh, people like to talk about how Google can be um, dictatorial about you know whether you get to use Google Apps and 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 they will say that the power of Android is Google Apps. Um, that that is certainly a big part of it, uh, but. It's not this is showing us that's not the case. So I'm yeah. be- there's no way that a, all billion of those were Google Apps certified devices. Right. I, I would not agree. I would not disagree with that statement. But it, they're out there. And, you know, if you think about it, the iPhone is expensive in America. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily out of the reach expensive, but it's expensive in America, and America is wealthy compared to the rest of the world. So imagine it to the rest of the world. It's all, it's darn near out of reach except everyone but the elites in society. Whereas Android is just, you know, you can buy it on a, a $5 tablet out of China if you want to wait a week. Um, and so it's out there, and you can get it in mass, and... The components are so cheap that when something breaks, you just buy a new tablet rather than try to fix it. So that is that that's the power of free. And so people have access who wouldn't have access if it came down, you know, if Apple wasn't or if Android wasn't in the market. Yeah, so that's why I didn't want to skip over that one, because that, yes, it's impressive numbers, but it, it bears some thinking about why. Okay. So it's moving on now, Seth, what happened this week in computer history? Okay, this was something cool I read about today. Um, the, February the 8th, 1996, uh, 24 hours in cyberspace took place. Um, it's the largest one-day online event ever as of that date. Um, as of it was, that date. Yes, as of that date. The project brought together the world's top photographers, editors, programmers, and interactive designers to create a digital capsule of online life in real time. So um, there was so a the, website. Or, I, yeah. I feel it incumbent to point out there wasn't a lot of digital online life in 1996 as compared right. to today. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Like, I think 96 was the year Yahoo started. So there really wasn't and I mean, there was an internet, but you wouldn't think of it as you would today. It was more bulletin boards and stuff. Um, but this was just a neat thing. There was like, um, you know, vice president at the time, Al Gore, he contributed an essay. Uh, Tipper Gore was there, some famous well-known people. And, uh, there was a cover story in U.S. News and World Report. And you can buy a book today and you can see a mirrored website of what it was at the time. I just, I thought it was, you couldn't do this today because there's far too many people online. Back in 96, the internet was primarily a, um, a United States. It was definitely USA centric. Uh, yeah, their you, website received a whopping 4 million hits in 24 hours. Um, unprecedented. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, at, at, at the, the time, time think exactly. about it. Yeah. They couldn't hand, you know, you were dealing with T1 were T yeah, they were T1s then. So one and a half megs if you had the hundreds of dollars a month to pay for that. Um and uh most people, let me see. This would have been before this, this would have been in university. So they were running T3s, maybe maybe a DS3, but probably not. So you're looking at 50 megabits as their entire total sum of bandwidth. And most of the clients would have been running at 14.4, probably. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe yeah. 28.8 at the time. Um, that's right about, I think the time 28.8 was starting to come out. So it was just, I, I had never heard of it. Um, in all of my years of cyber life, I had never heard of this. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. And so there's a link to the Wikipedia page that talks about it. It was just interesting. So that happened this week in history. I love stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You look back and you see how far we've come in such a short period of time, right? That was 1996. So just under 20, uh, 30 years ago. Can I, can I, 20, 20 years ago, just under 20 years ago. Um, where are we going to be in 2035? Right. Right. Um, cause it's not even at scale growth, it would be pretty phenomenal, but it's not going to be scale growth. It's going to be exponential growth has been exponential growth and for all intents and purposes will be forever. Um, yeah, let's see. At exponential growth, I think I'd have two megs at my house in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but you'll be viewing it on your new hologram generator. There yeah. you go. Well, unless they figure out how to do that Wi-Fi or the, what is it, my, WiMAX for everybody. Unless they figure out how to do that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make it profitable. I think there will come a time where both the power that, that, that powers your device and the data that you're looking at on your device will come from space. It will be, it, it will be satellite driven, both power and data. And they're, they're, they will be the same feed. The feed that It'd powers cool. up your data will also, uh, device will also give it, uh, the data. POE, huh? Yeah. <laughs> power P- over air? Yes. POA? I mean, that's doable now. There are wireless charging devices now. And, and it's a, uh, you know, yeah, cheat charging. A, and well, there's that, but we did we just did a story about one a, a few weeks ago that can right. do cheat charging 15 feet away. Well, that's an infant technology, um, but you know it's going to improve. We'll be irradiating ourselves, you know, but that's okay. I'm, I, it, it, it's that way anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can tell me how wrong I am. Elementop.com. Uh, <laughs> uh, click the contact us button at the top of the. Actually, two. Maybe three of the emails uh, that I got had the subject line, Mark is wrong, or Mark, you're wrong, or I'm sorry, you're wrong. Something to that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Something to that effect. So if you want to tell me how wrong I am about anything, uh, not just this show, but uh, any of the past, uh, go to elementopi.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, and let your vitriol fly. I do promise I will read it. I read all of them. <clears throat> um if you want to uh, send something to all three of us and you're afraid I will filter it and that the other guys won't see how wrong I was, you can send a, a message to uh, edl at elementop.com. All three of us will get that. Or if you want to be like Batman and have your very own uh, <laughs> voice recording here on the show, you can call 559-IAM-OP. That is a free call anywhere in North America. Uh, if you're outside of North America, just send me a, an audio file. 
that'll count too. Uh, we we drew we truly do love to hear from you, even if you're telling me that I'm wrong. I don't mind that. Uh, again, you're the reason we do this show. Otherwise, we would just have a phone call and not need all of these the mics and fancy equipment. Uh, so <laughs> you are literally the reason we do this, and we we like to hear from you. Uh, Chris, Seth, as always, you were awesome today. Awesome, 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 awesome. Um, nice. And thank you for being the no great host that you are. Oh, did I forget that? I'm sorry. I <gasps> scrolled right past it. Seth, what do you have this week to lower my productivity so that you look like a better hiring option? Okay, this one I've been sitting on for a while. It's just a cool map to pull up and watch. Map.ipviking.com. It is a graphical representation of real-time attack vectors going on the Internet. And basically... <laughs> It shows America getting hammered from the rest of the This is world. like Missile Command. It's like watching yes. that game, Missile Command. And everything from Europe and Central Asia and Russia is all heading at the U.S. Yep. It's like, would you like to play thermonuclear detonation? <laughs> and yeah, but America's giving back. So, you know, we just, we take turns blowing up little pieces of the world. But the entire world, China, Europe. Even this little like Falkland Island base out in the middle of the South Atlantic. It's just, just radiating. Stuff. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> it, it's just cool. I want to know watch. why we're blowing up our own people too. Did you notice that? There's a lot of stuff yeah. directing <laughs> at our stuff. Look at it's how all much about of it the is money, baby. Dedicated at Redmond, Washington, up there in the top left. Yep. I mean, that, that's where the red lines, I'm assuming the the colors denote the intensity of the attack well no uh, the color denotes what it is there's you can kind of okay. see whether it's uh it just Unknown says kinda, ssh yeah. or net bios look at all the net attacks launched at microsoft look at, uh, microsoft is like under a mushroom cloud of attacks <laughs> at this moment <laughs> yep it's this more since awesome. i started talking it's like i drew attention to them <laughs> i want to put this up on a live monitor at my work i think this would be hilarious could you imagine all the comments i'd get oh, this it, is amazing yeah it's neat um you know they talked about it on security now but that's been many months ago and i've been i've been holding on to this one i just thought again you know you shouldn't necessarily fear the world and it's not cyber warfare armageddon it's just you know wow. botnets of the world attacking each other and it just kind of seeing it in real time, a graphical representation of it. At this moment in time, as we speak, 9.13 p.m. Eastern Time on February the 8th, over 400 attacks are being launched at the U.S. right now. Yep. I think it's crazy when you look at the attack types that SSH and Telnet are on the top. Well, no, actually, Mark, that was the attack origins. Um, the attack targets are on the other side. The USA is up like, oh, well, that, you probably yeah, that's have. What I was looking at. 400, now it's up to 495 hit. It's about to hit 500 before I finish this sentence. Attacks aimed at the US. And that counter starts when you access the website. Like for me, oh, it's okay. over a thousand. Okay. So, and apparently this massive one just kind of took over my entire screen from <laughs> the, the entire world in outer space. We're being satellite bombarded. Um, it's just cool to watch. It's really awesome. I could spend hours watching this. I, I, I may make. The, I wonder if they make a screensaver out of this. That would be great. Somebody okay. just got rained on. That was intense. <laughs> it's it's somebody called down an airstrike. Bring yeah. the pain. <laughs> just boom. That was. We're, it's all heading towards Redmond. Yes. Wow. Yep. 
port 5902. What port would that be? <laughs> we are such geeks. Oh, okay. So see, my plan works. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I would get no work done. If I, Absolutely. If I still worked where I did and I had my office, I would have a projector with this up on the wall at like four feet. Oh, me too. Um, uh, and we'd I'd just be watching it. My my assistant and I would spend all day. And you say, leave me alone. I'm busy. We're under attack. Okay, 5902, in case anyone is curious, port 5902 is for VNC. Oh, yes, yes, I knew that. I did not, well, I I was curious to see I why would that port be getting, you know, pounded into the nothingness. But That's why I always use alternative ports on my outward-facing uh, VNC. Yep. I, I do have one that I use, and it's a port that is very unlikely to be guessed, and I have my firewall set to ca- uh, cancel anything that looks like it's scanning. And uh, there was a story a couple of weeks ago, I think it got cut from our thing. There was an unpatched flaw in the current build of BNC um, that, you know, uh, so that could very well be why that one is getting targeted. Oh, here comes another wave. <laughs> <laughs> My whole machine slows down when they happens. So I know it's a big one because there's no other movement on the map. And all of a sudden, a rain of uh, of events come down. Now it's on oh. port. Wow, that's a high one. That's what is that little high. thing out there in the Pacific doing? It's just launching like crazy. Zombies machines. Oh, okay. This is riveting radio. <laughs> Listening to us watch a screen and comment on it. Uh, map.ipviking.com. Go check it out. Um, and wow. again, thank you for checking out the show. And before we get on to two enwrapped uh, in this website, I can't even talk because I'm watching it. I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Take cover!